turn with me again tonight to Judges chapter 10, if you would please. Verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not Him. Israel served Balaam. Now, Balaam simply means Baal in plural. Various forms of Baal worship. They served Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth was a female moon goddess. After all God had done for Israel, they serve a moon goddess. False religion and false worship has a strange attraction to men and women. I talk to you often about false religion, not to bash false religion, but to warn you of its subtleness and its deception. Um, You might ask, well, why preach concerning or against false religion when it really doesn't concern those who worship in spirit and truth? Because the wisest of men, like Solomon, are prone to wonder. Let me show you that. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 4. Or excuse me, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. I want you to see this. First Kings chapter 11. Hold your place in Judges. We'll come right back to it. In verse 4 we read, For it came to pass when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, that same moon goddess. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Ammonites, excuse me. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh and the abomination, the abomination of Moab and the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Molech the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done for thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, 
and I'll give it to thy servant. Solomon, the Lord restored Solomon unto him before he died, but what a warning this is to us. And that's why we talk about the falseness of religion today. Because even the wisest of men are prone to wonder. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God warned Israel over and over and over and over again. And the Scriptures warn us through them. Now verse 6 plainly tells us that after the deliverance of seven judges, been through seven judges now, each time the same story, you know it well. Israel began to worship false gods and idols and God, and they'd cry unto the Lord, and the Lord would send a judge, and the judge would deliver them, and the judge would die, and they'd start right all over again. Will we ever learn? And you know, friends, that's the story of my life. It's the story of your life. Prone to wonder, aren't we? Israel did evil again and again and again in the eyes of the Lord. It's every believer's story. But it does have a good ending. We know how the story ends. Israel served the gods, plural, of Syria. They, they had several. They served the gods, plural, of Zion. They, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Just like the men of Athens on Mars Hill, they had them all covered. They worshipped them all. As a nation, they served them all. But the worst part in worshipping these false gods is this. It says they forsook the Lord and served not Him. No man can have two masters. No man can serve two gods. You'll cling to the one and do away with the other. You'll hate the one and love the other. You can't serve God and man, and you can't serve God and idols. And it's evil to serve any God but the true God, because you can only serve one. If you serve a God of your imagination, you cannot serve God, and it's called evil. Someone might say, I serve God. Is Well, is your God the God of the Bible? People uh, have asked me, why do you always have to distinguish God? Can't you just call Him God? Well, depends on who your God is. Is He the God that this book declares? If not, then your God's an idol. He's a false God. David said, my God's in the heavens and this is how I know He's done whatsoever He's pleased. He's not trying. He's not wanting to do something. He doesn't need man's help. That's an idol of men's imaginations. It may not be a silver and gold, something graven out of a tree stump, but that's a, a, a God nonetheless. One that you imagine right here. Men and women make gods out of many things, but we have the great judge. That judge that will never die. The one continually and forever who forever delivers us. 
And the idols, gods of our day, are like the idols of David's day. David said they have a, they have a mouth, but they cannot speak. They can't speak truth. They have eyes, but they don't see men's sin. They have ears, but they don't hear men's prayers. They have noses, but they don't smell a sinner's foulness. They have hands, but they cannot work redemption. They cannot come to seek and to save that which is lost. They have hands, but they can't work redemption. They have feet, but they cannot seek to save. They have throats, but they cannot express comfort. <laughs> but our God does. David said they're like the men that make them. How's that? They're dead and can do nothing to save themselves or give themselves life. A God that cannot do whatsoever He wills is a dead God. He's a little G God. God distinguishes in this book. He uses that capital G when it's the God of the Bible and uses that little G when it's an idol. Nothing more than an idol that men have conjured up by the work of their own hands. Whether silver, gold, or a figment of our imagination, that's a God that is no God at all and He cannot save. That's why we declare the God, the only true God. Look at verse 7. And the anger of the Lord, the only Lord, was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. Who did that? God did that. They weren't just unfortunate. God did it. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years all the children of Israel that were on the other side, Jordan, in the land of the Amorites, which is Gilead. And moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was what? Sore distressed. It's one thing to be distressed. It's another thing to be sore distressed. Pain, anguish. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We've sinned against thee both because we've forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the Mayanites and did oppress you and you cried to me and I delivered you out of their hand? Time and time again. Did I not do that? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. God once again sends bondage, slavery to Israel under a heathen nation because of their disobedience to Him and the worship of false gods and idols. Now in verse 10, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. They said, we've sinned against thee. We've forsaken our God. We've served Balaam. And he said, I'm done with you. But he wasn't. God has the right to change his mind. But can we declare to the ones that we love, I'm done with you? You have a child that you love that causes you great grief. 
Can you say I'm I'm done with you? You know, I you know this. I have a troubled son, and I've threatened to be done with him. And as you know, he's now in the bonds of prison. But I but I love him, <laughs> and I can't be done with him. But in verse 13, God said to Israel, I'll deliver you no more. In other words, I'm done with you. God reminds Israel of all the times that He delivered them. And in verse 14, He says, Go and cry unto the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Yes, Israel confessed their sin. Folks still do today, don't they? But it's only to be delivered from their trial and troubles. Like Israel, when deliverance from their temporal circumstances was given, it was right back to business as usual. They sinned again. Again. You see, they have no, folks have no interest in serving God. Um, it's nothing but what men call foxhole religion. You've heard that terminology. Oh, in the middle of battle when you're in the foxhole and bombs are going off all around you, it's easy to believe God, trust God, and ask for help, isn't it? Seems to me that just about everyone gets religious when they're in trouble. I've experienced that a great deal just recently. When someone gets sick, if someone loses their job, if trials and troubles come their way, they cry unto the Lord. Oh, brother, pray for me, pray for me. And if and when the sickness passes or they get a new job or their trouble diminishes, they forget the God they cried unto. They have no interest in the salvation of their soul. That's the issue. King Saul did it. He told Samuel and David, I've sinned against the Lord. And yet, it was not true repentance. Pharaoh did it on two occasions when the hail destroyed all the Egyptian crops and when the Lord sent locusts to destroy the remaining. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And yet, he just kept right on. His heart was hardened. He hardened his heart because God hardened his heart. Judas did the same thing before hanging himself. But his hanging himself was only an attempt to atone for his sin. But there was no true repentance found in any of these mentioned. And that's the case with Israel here. And in verse 14, God says, Go and cry unto the God you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. The Lord is going to prove, now listen, the Lord is going to prove the sincerity of their repentance. And He does that with every wayward child of God. He's going to prove your repentance, your sincerity. And He does so by saying to us, if the God you're trusting in uh, can help you, go, go and cry unto them. See if they can. See if they will. Over the years, people who've heard the Gospel for the first time, who attend a church that doesn't preach the Gospel, often ask, well, should I leave the church that I attend? Well, this is where the proof of true repentance comes. Can you stay and listen to folks that lie on God? If you can, then you probably should. 
I remember David Pledger telling me one time, and I, I, he told me later that he had, had someone tell him the same thing. But men often ask, how do I know if I'm called to preach? And he said, if you can do anything else, do it. But the issue is that if God called preacher cannot do anything else. And it's the same with repentance. If you can, uh, if you can sit under a false gospel, then probably should. But you can't if God has done something for you. You can't hear it. You can't can't tolerate it, can you? The one whom God has enlightened and given repentance cannot and will not. If they can stay, then true repentance hadn't been given. Many of you have left churches for that reason. God says, if the God that you've trusted in all these years can help you, go and cry unto them. Let them deliver you. Let them take care of your present trouble. If your trouble is health or finances, then maybe the health and wealth gospel doctrine can help you. But our real problem and trouble is sin. All our problems and troubles come from sin. Every one of them can be traced back to that little three-letter word, sin. Only the true God can grant true repentance for sin. It's one thing to, to be sorry that you're having trouble, but it's a whole other thing altogether to be sorrowful for your sin. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He wrote, Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed. He said, not that you were made sorry. I'm sorry. Now I rejoice that you were not, that not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. There's a difference. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You can be sorry, and yet if you continue in your sin, it brings about death. Death is sin's wages. So the question is, was the Lord done with Israel? No. As we'll continue to see in the study of Judges, He'll deliver them time and time again. And at the same time, the Scriptures is very clear that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. That's what He said before He destroyed the world with the, with the flood, with the deluge. God with some, after much long-suffering, leaves them to themselves. But not so with true Israel. You see, He's always long-suffering with them that have a repentant heart. The Lord here does not mean that He was done with Israel, as we'll see. But he's, what He's saying is, if those gods can help you, then go to them. But you're going to find out they can't. Not with the real problem. Not with the problem of sin. You know, if men, being evil, know how to give good gifts to their Father, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask. Ask out of a sorrowful and repentant heart. Lord, help me. 
Lord, save me. Lord, give me Christ. No one else can help me. The Lord said to His disciples, will you leave also? Peter said, where else are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. There's nowhere else for us to go. No one else for us to turn to. Paul told the believing Thessalonians, your manner of believing the Gospel is proven in how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's the proof in the pudding. Idols and man-made gods can't help you. The little God of your imagination that wants and tries to save, He can't help you. True repentance of the heart turns to God from a false gospel and a false God. Now is your repentance worldly or godly? Is your sorrow because you got caught? Or is your sorrow for your sin? That's how our repentance is tested. And this, my friends, is the difference. It's the difference that God makes. And He's the only one that can. Who maketh thee to differ from another? What do you have you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? It wasn't anything you did. And that's the profession of true repentance. Is that your profession? Now look at verse 15. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We've sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Now we're making a little headway. <laughs> Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And we only make headway because the Lord enables us to do. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, not by works of righteousness that we do. And that's the believer's this is the believer's profession. Lord, we've sinned. We, we see that. They'd said that before. What makes this time different? Well, this time they add, do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. We, it's, Lord, have your way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I'm the potter, you're the clay. <laughs> I'm just a lump of clay. You mold me and Make me a vessel of honor if it so please you. I need you to save me. I need you to put my sin away. I need you to put me in Christ. This, this is a matter of the heart and soul. Not just about the trouble that I'm in. <laughs> it's my sin that I need deliverance from. Sin is the cause of all our trouble, as I said. Man that is born of woman is full of trouble. And man is full of trouble because man is full of sin. Lord, if You take everything else away from me, even my life, I need deliverance from my sin. For what... Soever God has ordained for us is not only right, friends, but it's good. All things work together for the good of them. The world? No. Them that love God, who are the called according to His purpose. If you are in that group, everything's good. Everything is good.
to be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The Lord said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. What is the believer's expected end? The glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, but which is of the law, which is of doing, but that which is through the faith of Christ. It's not our faithfulness. We say this all the time. It's not our faithfulness that saves us, but the faithfulness of Christ that does. Faith is not the cause of our righteousness. Faith is the result of God giving us His righteousness. What really matters at the moment of death? How much money you have? How many material things that you possess? No. Do I know Christ? Do I have His perfect righteousness? Is all my sin put away? Am I perfect in the eyes of God? You know, I had an uncle that I loved. He, he was a... He was just special to me. He came to all my ball games as a, a kid. He used to get out in the yard and play ball with me. And he was successful. He made a lot of money, but he didn't know God. And when he was only 42 years old, he had a major heart attack. And my mother, who was his sister, went to the hospital and to see him. And, uh, and they were uh, carrying on a conversation. And my mom told me this later. And all of a sudden, he got this strange look. She said it was like a look of terror on his face, and he died right there and then. You know, I've often wondered what he saw at that moment. Was it judgment? Was it eternal damnation? I don't know. I've often wondered what was important to him at that very moment. Was it his money? Was it his possessions? Was it how much he had accomplished? I can assure you that it wasn't. What will really matter to us in the moment of death. The Lord said to the children of Israel, you go and cry unto the gods which you've chosen. Can they help you in the hour of death? When you stand before the God, the only true God, the living God, what can they do for you? The Lord Jesus answered that question when He said, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can't do anything. And they said, they can't help us. Only you can. You see, that's true repentance. That's, we've sinned. We've brought this on ourselves. You're justified in whatever you do to us. That's what David said in Psalm 51. He said, the against thee and thee only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. And then he went on to say, you're justified when you speak. When you speak against me, you're right and you're just. You're clear. You're clear of any wrongdoing if you would send me to hell a hundred times over. But please don't, we pray. That's what they said. Deliver us this day. And then they put some action with their words. Look at verse 16. And they put away the strange gods from among them and they served the Lord. And 
His soul, the Lord's soul, was grieved for the misery of Israel. <laughs> faith without works, faith without actions is dead being alone, James said. We're not saved by our works, but our works do give evidence to being saved. You remember what James wrote? He said, "For any, if any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and he straightway forgets what manner of man he is. A sinner today and tomorrow, everything's alright, me and God. we got a good thing going on. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now listen, you won't have to beg an enlightened sinner to come to Christ. You won't. A man drowning doesn't have to be begged to grab a life preserver. If a man is drowning and you throw a life preserver and say, okay, grab hold of it. If he's drowning, he's going to grab hold of it. I had a friend who was a lifeguard and he said that when someone is drowning, the biggest danger to the lifeguard is them grabbing you and taking you down with them. They're going to hold on for dear life because you are their lifeline. Your lifeguard. They're grabbing, they're clinging on to you for life. That's what an enlightened sinner does. They grab on to Christ and they won't let go. They cry, I don't care how. Just get me in the boat. And I don't care how, do whatsoever you will. That's what Israel said. Get me to safety, Lord. Deliver me and get me to safety. Help me. Save me is their cry. What will a sinner give in exchange for his or her soul? And what shall a prophet man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The sinner says, I'll stop trying to swim if you'll get me to shore. Man-made works religion says keep swimming. <laughs> keep fighting. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Give your heart to Jesus. Make Jesus your Lord. Rededicate your life. I rededicated my life and was baptized so many times growing up that I'm still chapped from it. They've never learned that without Christ, they can't do anything. Nothing means nothing, doesn't it? Doesn't mean something. If God's given you faith and you, He's already given you life, and it's not by your faith, not because you have faith, but by the faith of Christ. Christ's faithfulness. Not what you do for yourself, but what Christ has done for you. He is the one thing needful. There's only one thing needful. That's Christ. And Israel put away the strange gods from among them, and it says, and they served the Lord. Mm -hmm. 
But here, friends, we have the gospel. I'm telling you, it's the gospel as clear as it can be. Look at the last part of verse 16. It says, In His, God's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. I can't get over that. We grieve over the souls of our loved one, loved ones. Does God so grieve for the misery of His people? That's what it says. The reason that God shows mercy to His people is not because of the sincerity of their confession. It's due to the depths of His love and His compassion and His mercy and His grace. It's Ezekiel chapter 6 tells, I won't turn to you there, he said, you'll remember me among the nations whether they shall be carried captives because I'm broken with their whorish heart which hath departed from me and with their eyes which go a-whoring after their idols and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. The Lord said, I'm broken. My heart's broken. God's heart's broken for His people. It's not because of our repentance. Why was God so grieved here? For the misery of Israel, His people. This is the cause of our sorrow for sin. It's, it's the cause of our repentance. Sin. Deliverance from our sin. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16. For verily He, speaking of Christ the Lord, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. That means he became a man. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. His people, not everyone in the world, those that He came to save. Well, what about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ died for those that believe in Him. And He didn't look ahead in time to see if they were. He predetermined it. <laughs> he predestined it. What an amazing thought. The Lord's soul was grieved for them. How many times do we read in the Scriptures that Christ was moved with compassion? He was moved with compassion on His people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now God can by no means clear the guilty. <clears throat> I know that. You know that. His holy justice demands payment for sin. That's what we see transpiring on the cross of Christ. The Lord Jesus is hanging on the cross for my sin and for your sin, those that trust in Him. And the holy justice of God is being executed on our sins on Him. God will not clear the guilt in His justice being executed 
is it being executed fully upon the substitute. Our Lord's not without compassion or feeling. You know, men say, oh, if you believe in election, then you believe that God uh, finds some enjoyment in sending people to hell. That's not what God Himself said. He delights in showing mercy. Depth of mercy, can there be? Mercy still reserved for me? Yes, sir. He's plenteous in mercy. His mercy endures for how long? Forever. In the garden, our Lord said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He said, Now is my soul troubled. Our Lord has a soul. And it grieves over His people's misery and sin. People say, I need some help to get out of this trouble. Well, only God can solve your soul trouble. Our Lord Jesus made His soul an offering for sin. Are you troubled in your soul over your sin? Christ is that offering. He's the only offering. Like Peter, we say, Lord, to whom else shall we go? There's no one else to go to. Thou hast the words. To what? Eternal life. By His grace, I've put away all the strange gods that once ruled me. By His grace, I've committed my soul to Him to do whatsoever seems good to Him. That's what Israel said. Whatever you seem to be good or you deem to be good, we'll bow to it. Did they? For a while. (laughs) By His grace, my prayer was, my prayer is, and my prayer will always be. Help me, save me, deliver me, I pray, this day, again today. And tomorrow it'll be the same. And the day after the same. Help me, Lord. Save me. Not that I'm some spiritual giant or a great man of prayer, but I often find myself walking through the house thinking about things and just say, Lord, help me. He's revealed to me He's the only one that can. Yes, sir. And I can go back to all these other gods of my imagination and seek help, but they can't help me. I have great confidence that in Christ, God always will. Don't you? Isn't that why we, we worship the God that we worship, the God of the Bible? We've got great confidence in Him. And we should. He's God. He can do anything. He can do everything. And everything that He does is for our good and for His glory. So again, I say in closing, may God be pleased to make it so for His glory, our good, and most importantly, for Christ's sake.